Keep you in the understanding of your word that you might speak that word into our hearts. Breathe your breath into us, Lord. Help us to see the light. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear today. I ask that you will speak to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the season that we celebrate the birth of the Messiah. But our series is called Make Ready. It's not about the birth of the Messiah, but rather his return, the second coming of the Messiah, who will come back in glory and in power. Now you might say, how do those get connected? Well, you might be surprised to discover that the early church never celebrated Christmas, the birth of the Messiah. That didn't occur until about the late 4th century. And in fact, it was after that that the church developed a calendar and created a season known as Advent. That's a Latin word meaning coming. And they created, if you will, this Advent season. Sometimes it had seven weeks. It eventually got pared down to four weeks, the four weeks prior to the date that they chose to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, December 25th. Now, they chose that date because it coincided with a Roman celebration of when the sun, right, was farthest away from the earth, began its return to the earth, and the days began to lengthen. And if we think about theologically that Jesus is the light who comes into the world, then it makes sense from a theological standpoint. It's a symbolic um, birthday that we're celebrating, his birth coming in. Now, Advent, when they thought of Advent as coming, they thought of it actually in three terms. First, they thought of it as the coming of Christ in flesh. Second, they thought of it as the coming of Christ in word and spirit, and that we would ponder this throughout the year. And third, they thought of the coming of Christ in glory at the end of time. And it was during this season that we were to reflect upon living in the expectation of this final great event in history. The birth of Jesus is meant to remind us that the future is now. It gets hard for us to wait, doesn't it? And the longer we wait, the longer we think, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe it's not true. And the more it lingers, doubts fill our minds, or we just forget and we get off track. But the truth is that we are very capable of living in the present with our focus upon the future. This is not foreign to us. For those of us who have gone to trade school or to college or to graduate school, we were living in the present with our focus on the future, developing ourselves, right, 
for a future occupation so we could take care of our families. Think about retirement savings or putting aside enough for a rainy day for house repairs or car repairs or should something happen to your job. This is preparation in the present for what might occur in the future. Well, the birth of Jesus is meant to call us to that same kind of preparation. It's an incredible event. It's an important event because Jesus stands as the focal point of God's redemptive plan for all humanity and for all creation, saving us from sin. But what is important, far more important, is the work that he would do on the cross in his suffering and in his death and then in his resurrection and then in his ascension and sending the Holy Spirit to those who believe upon him, giving them the power to live in his presence and his power in overcoming sin and living for God. This is why we have a series called Make Ready Today. So if you're wondering why we're doing that in Advent season, we're doing it because it's been done historically. It's been part of the church. And to be really honest, many of us forget that Jesus is coming back in glory and in power, and he will judge all things at that time and bring history to an end. And he will make all things new. The big idea today is that our focus on the coming of the birth of Christ is a reminder of his promise to come again. And of our need to live in the present with our focus on the future. What is the future that I'm talking about? The second coming of Christ. What the Bible calls the day of the Lord, the terrible and awesome day of the Lord, when history will come to an end and judgment will be measured out. Jesus actually spoke about spiritual readiness for when he returns in power and in glory. And he spoke about it several times. Pastor presented a couple of parables for us last week. And today we're going to look at three parables from the Gospel of Luke that help us to understand how Jesus describes our spiritual readiness, what that looks like for his coming. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 12, 35 through 48. Or if you have your phone and your Bible there, just pull it up. Jesus will say, essentially, in these parables, that spiritual readiness is trusting God in the present for the future promises to come. This is not so much about our personal life and the events that are unfolding, but rather the future promise of Jesus to return in power and in glory to judge the living and the dead, as the great creed says. As we consider three parables that Jesus 
uses to describe this for us. There are four questions I want to answer. The first is, what is the context for Jesus talking about when he's talking about readiness? The second is, why did Jesus speak about readiness in parables? Third, how does Jesus describe readiness when the Son of Man comes? And lastly, how does that readiness pertain to you and me? So let's begin answering the questions. What is the context for Jesus talking about readiness? Well, Jesus' popularity had grown. Crowds were gathering around him, and the Bible says that the Pharisees began pressing hard, literally provoking him to speak about many things. They were hopeful that when Jesus spoke, he would make a slip, and they could disprove that he was the Messiah. It is in light of this increasing pressure that Jesus teaches about living the spiritual life with God. Not as we would define it, but as God defines it. And it is within the context of teaching about spiritual life with God in the present that Jesus teaches about living in readiness in the present with regard to his second coming in the future. Now, why did Jesus speak about readiness in parables? Well, the answer to that question is actually quite shocking. Jesus told the disciples why he spoke in parables in Matthew 13, verses 11 through 17. And in his ex- explanation, he describes a twofold purpose. First, to harden some hearts. Second, to cause others to seek him out and ask what he meant. Jesus said, people will hear, but not understand. People will see, but not perceive. Every time Jesus spoke, he was excluding some and including others. And often, after hearing a particularly difficult teaching, the Bible describes that the people would say, this is just too hard, and walk away. The truth is, this is a hard pill for us to swallow. We live in a culture and a time when we think of exclusion as bad and inclusion as good, regardless of the parameters around exclusion and the parameters around inclusion. That's simply how our culture measures it. If anything is excluded, it's bad. But that is not how God sees it. I was walking the other day with my new puppy. I got a puppy. I couldn't stand thinking of retirement without a dog. My wife finally relented. So I'm walking with this 10-week-old puppy. He's all of 10 pounds, and he's pulling me on the leash. I'm like, he's a savage. He's uncivilized. 
And now I know you're supposed to do certain things. So you gently tug. You gently tug. You gently tug. You keep pulling him back to your side so he learns to walk alongside of you. I gently tug. He pulls, I stop. Then I start to walk. He pulls, I stop. It's driving me mad. But I'm thinking about walking this dog, and all of a sudden I realize he's just out of his mind because he doesn't know any better. He wants to go everywhere. And I'm trying to save him. You know what I mean? Because if he takes off, some big dog gets a hold of him, he's in serious trouble. And I'm just trying to gently pull on him. And it dawns on me, this is a picture of me with God. God is gently walking me through life, and I'm like, can you identify? And that leash is meant to exclude us from certain things that aren't necessarily good for us, right? So that we stay on a good track. Well, that's kind of how God is with us. And so, while we may not like the fact that when Jesus speaks, it excludes some and includes others, that's just how it is. God does not want to exclude people. He wants everyone to know how much he has loved them. He has come to earth to die for all people, but not all will avail themselves of his great love. Well, that leads us to this third question. How does Jesus describe readiness when the Son of Man comes? I'd like to read, if you will, the first two parables, and we're going to talk about those, and then I'll read the third parable, and we'll talk about that. If you have your Bibles, please feel free to read through with me. We're going to read verses 35 through 40. Jesus says, Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In this first parable, Jesus is speaking about readiness as trusting God for the future by living with the Lord's claim upon your life. He says, keep your loins girded. That means to be ready for action. The Israelites were to gird themselves in the first Passover to be ready to leave quickly. And to gird their loins meant to take their robes and pull them up and tuck them into their belt 
so they could move quickly. They were ready for action or for battle. And he says, keep your lamps burning. Be watchful, filled with anticipation, living under the master's claim upon them, whether he is present or not. Even in the dead of night, when it gets hard to stay awake. Think of Peter in Gethsemane. Hard to stay awake. Keep your lamps burning. And Jesus likens it in this parable to a master who leaves for a wedding feast. Now, weddings in their time was a community event. And oftentimes it meant two communities coming together, the brides and the grooms. And the wedding feast itself could last several days. So when the master left, the servants wouldn't know when he was coming home. But they knew they needed to be ready day or night, for him to come home. In verse 37, Jesus promises that their faithfulness will be rewarded with a blessing. And what he describes is amazing, a reversal of roles. He says, blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them, that is the servants who are waiting for him, recline at the table and he, the master, will come and serve them. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, of grace, of how God dies for us and serves us. We who are undeserving. So, The servants who are found faithful and waiting and ready for the Lord, they will receive a blessing. What is implied here but not yet stated, but it will be in the next parable, is that if they are not ready, there will be no reward. This is why Jesus said, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Well, that leads us to the second parable. Not of a marriage feast now with a master going off, but rather it is the parable of a master whose house gets robbed. And Jesus says, if the master knew he would have been prepared for the thief and he wouldn't have gotten his house robbed. Instead of the servants being the main actor in this picture story, it's now the master. It reflects personal responsibility to live in the present with the awareness of the future. That awareness is that Jesus will return, most likely when we don't expect it. And it is our responsibility to be ready. Many of you know I was raised Roman Catholic. And I took many things of my Roman Catholic 
upbringing seriously. One of them was confession. And I have often thought about confession and in fact missed it. And the reason I missed it was because confession taught me the daily practice and the weekly practice of really evaluating how I was living my life every day and sitting down and taking accounts of all of it and then confessing that to another person. And one of the things I've thought about over the years is, you know, I wonder when we die and we have to account for our lives, how many of us are going to be surprised by what we have failed to admit to ourselves and confess because we don't practice it so much. We give ourselves a pass and excuse it away. If we know that we have to account for this life that we live, then we do well to take stock of how we're doing. We do well to ask God for forgiveness, and we do well to confess it to our brothers and sisters. Because as God says, there is forgiveness for such sins. Jesus then closes these two parables, saying, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not respect. So Jesus, in these first two parables, is essentially saying it's a choice to live in the present with trust in God of his future coming. And you're accountable for it. We read then that Peter interrupts Jesus. No surprise, Peter is always doing something not so smart. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master has set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect them and in an hour when he does not know and will cut them in pieces and put them with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. <clears throat> Jesus was talking to the crowds. When Peter asks if he's talking to his disciples, Jesus now answers and tells Peter and those who are listening what is expected of his disciples. And notice that he talks in a parable again. 
it further divides those who will understand and those who will seek to understand by coming to Jesus and asking more. Jesus says for his followers, it is not just waiting around, being found awake, opening the door. Readiness is about being busy with the good works that have been entrusted to those of us who have received grace upon grace. Consider what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. We're saved by faith. There's no works in any of this. But now look what it says. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Those good works are the works of the Holy Spirit in us that he would do as we live our lives with God's claim upon us. The object of the parable is a manager who is entrusted with caring for the other servants. And that manager is symbolic of the disciples of Jesus. And he describes a manager in various states. First, there is the wise and faithful manager. This is a servant not just waiting for his master to return, but busy with the work that he was entrusted with. Jesus said, blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will be set over all his, that is the master's possessions. He is still under the master, but he is like the master. Given authority over all the master's possessions. Then Jesus describes an unwise and an unfaithful manager. He takes advantage of his position for selfish pleasures. He forgets the work that has been entrusted to him. He forgets the master's claim upon him. He forgets that he will account for how he has handled his privileged position. And Jesus said of him, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour, he does not know, and cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That manager is cast out, treated like an unbeliever, facing eternal damnation instead of eternal glory. Finally, Jesus describes a master who is not ready. Either he ignores or forgets that the master is going to return. He continues serving the master, but there's no sense of urgency or sticking power in his faithfulness. He certainly lacks perspective and conviction that he will be judged by the master. And Jesus said, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. 
Then Jesus says of all three managers, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. We must not and we cannot abuse the grace we have received. We must not and we cannot abuse the privilege that comes with such grace. Bonhoeffer's mother spoke about it to him as cheap grace, and he made it known to everyone. We must not cheapen the grace that came by our Lord's suffering and death. We are called to love people like the Lord has loved us. We are called to extend grace like the Lord has extended grace to us. And we are called to remember that Jesus will return and he will hold us accountable for how we have handled this privileged status and how we have carried on our work that he entrusted to us. This is the picture of spiritual readiness that Jesus paints in these three parables. So how does that readiness pertain to us? The final question. Well, when the Son of Man comes in power and in glory, everyone will be held accountable to him. He will sit in judgment of every person. And two questions today come to mind to me with regard to this. The first is, Will you believe on him? I know that many of you do. There are likely others who do not. I want you to know that God loves you. As the children sing, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. John writes even sooner than that. He promises this in his prologue of his gospel. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you do not believe in Jesus, may I encourage you to consider it seriously. If you have questions, come and see me. Come and see Pastor Tim. Talk to others from the church. We'll be happy to help you work through your questions, your concerns. Because we want you to know that promised blessing of Jesus and God's great love. Here's the second question that this brings to mind. If you believe that Jesus is the Lord, then will you be found faithfully trusting him by living in the present with your focus upon the future promise of his return? When I was 19 years old, I came to make a confession of faith. My roommate, my sophomore year, had invited me to a Bible study. And they began reading Hal Lindsey's book, The Great Late Planet Earth. Some of you may 
know about it, you got to be really old, but it's okay, you can laugh. And Hal Lindsey's book really talked about the fact that while the Bible speaks of events that occurred thousands of years earlier, there is prophecy going on even in today's world. And he points to the establishment of Israel in 1948. God reestablishes his people. Part of the promises of God that are leading to the great day of the Lord, to the second coming of Jesus. And I remember reading what he had to say about it and about the events that lay ahead over the next 20 or 30 years. And I thought to myself, yes, I'm living at a time when Jesus may well return. Am I ready? Am I ready? And let me tell you, there was a sense of urgency in in me about it. A real sense of conviction that I was living in biblical times and didn't even know it. And that I wanted to be found ready. But I can tell you that over the years, as I have lived my life, and the Lord's return lingers, and the events of life grab a hold of me, they get me thinking about lots of things. It's easy to forget that the Lord is coming and I will be accountable. As I'm getting older now, I'm thinking about that accountability before the Lord. And believe me, I have always thought about it because I know that I will be held to a higher standard. Scripture says that very clearly about those of us who teach his word. I want to live in that sense of urgency and that passion again. And I am grateful that Advent is a season that reminds me he is going to come back. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord God who took on flesh and died on our behalf. And he will return. He will redeem all things. He will make it right. And for those who have faith, we will join him in the new city, in the new heaven and the new earth, because that is his promise to us. I am glad for this season. It is good for all of us to be reminded and to allow God's spirit to rekindle passion in our hearts. Do you believe Jesus is coming again? And if you do, how is this going to impact Advent for you this year? And how will it impact the way you live after Christmas in the coming year? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for leaving your throne, coming down to take on human flesh, making a sacrifice 
to assuage your wrath against sin and sinners and to make a way for us to come into your presence, a way for us to live beyond the power of sin, to live fully in your presence and in your spirit. And I pray, Lord, you will help us to live with passion for you, knowing that you will return. And I asked, Lord Jesus, as the early church asked, come, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come. Amen.